Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERALP Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. A triathlon is a multi-sport race consisting of swimming, cycling, and running over various distances. As a sporting event that tests discipline and endurance, The triathlon has gained popularity among older adults who want to stay healthy. Demographics of triathlon participants show that more and more older athletes are competing these days. My guests today are Dr. Erica Williams, primary care sports medicine specialist at MedStar Health, and Susan Paisner, an experienced triathlete. Dr. Williams will talk about the importance of being healthy before beginning triathlon training and ways to stay that way when preparing for a race. Susan will give details about parts, types, and participating age groups of triathlons and tips for best training regimens and what to know about where and how to race. So welcome, Dr. Williams and Susan Paisner, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. All right. Well, we need to understand all of the details about triathlons. So, Susan, I'm going to start with you. Explain, I told a little bit about what a triathlon is in terms of the sports, but maybe you can give us a few more details, and and especially when was it first established? The first triathlon was held on September 25th, 1974 in the San Diego Track Club. And in 1989, it was made an Olympic event with no other sport has achieved that kind of Olympic recognition in such a short time. And so I mentioned in my intro uh, introduction about what the three parts are, but talk a little bit more about these, these three parts. How long is each one? Does it vary with races and uh, explain, especially since today we're going to be talking a lot about older athletes. So I was wondering if that distance varied for these parts. There are essentially four types of triathlons. There is the sprint, the Olympic, the half iron, and the iron man. So for the sprint and the Olympic, these are, they're all timed events, but they, the sprint and Olympic are shortest short enough distances so that you can really push through all the way. For the half iron and the iron man, and an iron man distance, by the way, is a 2.4 mile swim, a 112 mile bike, and a marathon. For those, that is strictly endurance, physical endurance. So the distances for an Olympic never vary. It is a one mile swim, 
a 25-mile bike, and a 10K. The distances for the sprint triathlon, which are the smallest distances, often do vary. And for instance, if it's in a pool, it might be a quarter swim, or if it's open water, it's a half swim, I mean, a quarter mile or a half mile. Uh, The bike can vary from 12 miles to 17, and it's usually followed by a 5K. So again, since we're talking about older adults here, Mm-hmm. Of of these different types, Susan, what would be the factors that would help older adults determine which of these types that they would choose? And maybe you could even talk about what you chose or choose in terms of of your of you know the type that you are, are most comfortable running or participating in. Well, I, I joke that I'm a I'm a lazy triathlete, and people say that's really not possible, but. I opt for the sprint. Those are the smallest distances because as one of these older athletes, I don't have to prove anything to anyone. I do it because I like it. And nobody is going to say, gee, what's wrong with you? You're not, you know, doing the more difficult race. So for anybody who thinks she might or he might want to start doing this, I highly recommend starting with a sprint distance. To your knowledge, uh, do you know if there are older adults who participate in one of these other types? Absolutely. I mean, there. I did. I was in a, a triathlon nationals, and there was a woman who's eighty-eight years old, who is renowned within the triathlon community, and she does all kinds of races, and including, I believe, Ironman. So there's nothing to prevent somebody for going for that further endurance race other than of course you know your physical structure and your and your health and things of that nature but one of the things that would be in favor of it is to do an ironman you need a lot of time to train and so for some of us older people that's one thing we absolutely have we have time well, and you'll be talking a little bit more about what's involved in training in, in mm-hmm. a moment. But since we don't know who might be listening uh, to this program, I'm I'm assuming that all age groups uh, can participate in triathlons. Could you kind of describe what what is the breakdown? I mean, how young do they start, and and how old? I'm not quite sure what the the lower age is. And sometimes triathlon uh, organizers will hold a a much smaller distance one for for kids. And it's, I got to say, it's just adorable watching them, you know, do it. Um, But other than that, it's a five-year age group. And and it generally, it used to be, you know, every five years, and then we'd get up to about 50, and they'd say 50 and older. And that has now moved to something like, in some races, 60 and older, which frankly really annoys me because I figure we should have, we're there. Even if there aren't many of us there, we are there. Uh, And I think they should still keep doing that five-year age group. But I have competed with people uh, who are in their 80s. So it's, that's how, that's how it works. And so that they give out awards for the best overall time, but then they give awards for how you did and where you placed within your own age group. And Susan, have you, uh, in the time that you've been doing this, have you noticed that there, as time has gone on, that there's been more older athletes competing? 
Absolutely. But one of the things is, of course, that some of the people who perhaps were in their 50s, as I continue to do this, and I did my first one in 2009, were all getting older, we're all aging. And so they people are just continuing. But yeah, I would say I am seeing more people uh, in at in the older age groups. And sometimes it's when I when I talk to them, it's a bucket list thing. You know, I've always wanted to do this, I want to try it. And usually at the end of the race, if I find them again, they'll say, I'm gonna do this again. <laughs> Well, there you go. So, so let's let's talk a little bit about how to prepare. So, Dr. Williams, this is where you come in, and uh, I we we'd like to hear from you as to what older adults need to know about their physical and mental condition before even considering, uh, and then perhaps leading to training for a triathlon. Sure. Well, I think a few things. Um, So you want to know your level of fitness prior to training. So are you somebody who's overall deconditioned and you're kind of starting from square one? Um, Or are you an athlete who's been an athlete all your life and this is just like a new sport that you'd like to pick up? Um, I think your training regimen is going to look a lot different depending on those things. You know, as a doctor, the things that I want to know when patients come into my office are things like what are your me- uh, medical conditions? So are you like a, are you a diabetic? Do you have hypertension? Do you have heart disease? Um, are you on any medications that might have side effects that interfere with your training? Um, do you have any concerning symptoms that you've been experiencing when you exercise? Like, for instance, you know, you get particularly short of breath or you develop chest pain or maybe fainting. Um, so those are all things that I want to screen for. Um, and then, I, you know, I wouldn't do a thorough exam. So a musculoskeletal exam and a cardiovascular exam, which looks different depending on your age and your risk factors. I want to do a neurologic exam. Um, I think in general, kind of the take home point is that exercise is, is overall safe and healthy and it should be encouraged. Um, I think, you know, choosing not to exercise is much more dangerous than choosing to stay active. And our bodies are capable of performing at a really high level for a long time. Um, It's just my job to guide athletes to train and rehab smarter and to ultimately keep them out of the doctor's office. And so after they get this, this, um, and and one thing I did want to ask you, Dr. Williams, is, is there any mental conditions or that... um, might also uh, that you would want to check with? I, I mean, do you actually ask things like, do you really want to do this? I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I, I'm kind of curious to, to know if there's that dialogue. I think we would do a basic screening for things like, you know, depression or okay. dementia. I think, but in general, exercise is something that's going to improve your mood and your cognition. So I, I think this really is, is only beneficial. And is there any advice if persons say, well, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead. Do you uh, kind of uh, warn them in advance of anything they really need to think about or would it vary with the patient or what would you tell us? You know, I think you can start exercising right on your own. But if anything comes up, right, if you're having pain anywhere, if you feel like you have an injury, um, if you're getting again, if you're if you're feeling faint, if you're having palpitations, chest pain, shortness of breath, any of those things come up, you really need to check in with a doctor to make sure that you're not injuring yourself. 
Okay. And I'd also wonder whether you've ever had uh, situations where somebody did come to see you and said they were very interested in running or training for triathlons, that there were circumstances that you said, you know, I'm not sure this is this is the right situation for you, either because of, you know, physical situation or mental. Uh, has that occurred? I think, you know, there are some contraindications to um, participating in a triathlon or training for a triathlon. Those would be things like if you've had a recent heart attack, right? If we do a cardiovascular assessment and we find that you have changes on your EKG that are concerning, um, if you have a history of heart failure or other heart conditions, um, you know, if you have uncontrolled diabetes or um, hypertension, we would want to control those things before you started really exerting yourself. And we would want to monitor those things closely. Um, anybody who has um, a, an acute illness that's causing them to have a fever, we would hold from exercise. Um, again, anybody who's feeling lightheaded or faint. Um, anybody who's got new musculoskeletal pain or falls, those might be things that we would at least want to have a conversation about and, and might actually hold somebody back. And I was also thinking, of course, sometimes somebody may have early dementia, although we're research is showing now that people can have dementia and be living with dementia for a long time. Have you had any experience with people who are living with dementia who... Uh, might be interested in doing something like this? I can't say that I've had any specific patients who have come to me, you know, who I was concerned about dementia, um, who wanted to be, you know, who wanted to start training like this. Um, you know, I think that there are definitely, um, we could, we would still encourage them to exercise, right? But they just need, might need a, a referral to a, a specialist to kind of further evaluate the dementia and make recommendations. I've been at triathlons um, where uh, someone blind is participating and they have a companion. Okay. And if, if someone is perhaps in the very early stages of dementia, but is still has enough, you know, workable cognition to want to participate or used to participate. And now this is happening. Uh, these, these venues allow for that kind of companion to, to compete alongside that individual. Excellent. I mean, and those are the kinds of things, I mean, or somebody may have a hearing disability or, or this kind of thing. And so that's good to hear, Susan. Thanks for, for sharing that. And we're going to get back to you now, Susan. And, and again, so your doctor has signed off and said, you know, you're able to do this. So what would be the next step for an older athlete to begin training for a triathlon? What, what could they anticipate for how many hours a day or would it vary? What would, what would you say, Susan? Well, I think, first of all, anyone doing it should decide what's your goal. If, if you're a highly competitive person and you're in really good physical shape and your goal is to place within your age group, that will have an impact on how you train. If your goal is just to have a good time and to compete, then I would say if, for instance, you, you're you in that second category and you're really good, say, at swimming, then you don't need to spend a lot of time swimming and you want to focus more on biking or running 
if those things are not uh, as commonplace, you know, within your life previously. So the amount of time you put in is so variable. Uh, I, I, in the summer months, I love to go biking. Uh, I don't have to bike 20, 25 miles a day. I just really like it. And so one of the things that I do do, however, is what's referred to as uh, high intensity interval training or high intensity training. And that is, you know, I could bike along at a, at a fairly good rate and then push for a quarter mile or something like that. And, and that's what I recommend with biking, and it's what people recommend with running also. And frankly, you could do it with swimming. But I think the important thing is to see what you are comfortable with. And because distances in the sprint are relatively small, it would be easy to incorporate those distances in your training effort. And it seems to me that especially... I mean, in fact, in each of these sports, you really have to be in a geographical location where you can swim or cycle or run these distances. I, 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 given this metropolitan area, might it be more difficult? Do you really have to go and find a place to, 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 uh, to train? What, what, what have you done? Well, I, where I bike in, in Bethesda is... I mean, I do loops, you know, so you, you get a, a, a route that is X number of miles. And then depending on how much you want to bike or you want to run, you just repeat the loop. But I want to talk about one specific aspect of, aspect of training that's really important in a triathlon. And it's referred to as brick training. And it has to do with when you get off the bike and rack your bike, put your bike back where, where, it, where it's held, and then you start running. Your legs have been working hard to help you bike, but the muscles that you use when you bike are not the same ones you use when you run. And so this brick training, and it's called that way because if you don't do it, when you get off the bike, your legs feel like bricks. What you need to do is bike about seven to 10 miles, immediately rack your bike. And in that many cases with me, that means locking it up around, around a post and then run one to two miles. So the distances are not as important as what you're training your body to do. So your body is responsive when you get into the real race condition. So that is imperative if you want to really actually at some point in some level, enjoy what you're doing. Well, and that brings up another point just as part of that uh, training regimen I mean, do you literally have to, if you're swimming, is swimming usually the first part that you have to go someplace and put some clothes on so you can ride a bike and then start running? Uh, how does that work? Well, what you wear, you wear all the way through. And so there are biking shorts that are shorter than the, what, training biking shorts, but they have padding. So you don't change your clothes. And... We, we refer to this as swim, bike, run. So you, you start your swimming and then everything goes back into the transition area and shorthand, we just call it transition. So you, you get there early, you set everything up that you will need for all of the events, and then you grab your goggles and your cap 
and you go and you, and you swim and then you immediately go back to transition, put on shoes, put on a helmet, sunglasses, etc. You go out and bike, you come back to transition, rack the bike, and then you, you, you take off the helmet <laughs> and put on your racing bib and you go out and run. Um, so you don't change clothes because everything in a triathlon is timed. So not only is the swim, the bike, and the run timed, but the transition periods are also timed, and they all add in together to determine where you place. And Susan, I just wanted to ask more one more question in terms of the training right now, and, and that is, how many hours a day do you train, and, and what's kind of the average for older adults in terms of going through all of these, um, these activities? I tend to do only one in a day and it's cold these days. So I'm not biking. I go run and I'm running for maybe about 45 minutes. So I would say generally speaking, and this doesn't count necessarily your travel to and from a pool or something like that. uh, About a, a half hour to an hour a day of whatever it is you're doing should be sufficient amount of time allotted. If, for instance, as I said, like when I go biking in, in, the, in the summer, I love it. So, you know, I'll spend two hours biking. It's not training per se, but it's wonderful exercise and I really enjoy it. Okay. Well, one thing, and, and Susan, you can uh, comment on this also, but I was going to start with Dr. Williams. In your experience of, of working with or uh, having patients who might be interested, do do you ever recommend that these older athletes uh, enlist the help of a professional trainer? And and if so, what would you tell them to, how would they find that? You know, I think um, that that depends on your personal style. If you feel like a trainer would help you stick to the program or keep you motivated, then definitely get one. Um, I, you know, I think you want to find the somebody who has the best personal fit for you. So you want to talk to a few of them um, and then find the person who you feel like can relate to what whatever your goals are, your your lifestyle, your fitness style. Um, medically, I don't think that you um, absolutely have uh, you, you need to have one. Um, there are, there are plenty of trainers that you can find just by doing a a Google search. So, you know, many of them come up online. Um, you know, there are also plenty of, um, online programs that you can look up and training regimens that you can follow. Um, and you can always find a group to train with. So there are triathlon teams and running clubs and masters swim teams that can be really helpful. Um, you know, you can also find a buddy to train with or on, on your own, depending on how you like to work out. And I was just going to ask that question also to Susan, when you decided that you were going to start doing this, did you do that pretty much on your own, Susan? Or did you um, seek out a, a professional trainer to kind of get you started? I did. And I do it on my own. I'm very self-motivated, but I want to draw a distinction, for instance, between a trainer and a coach. I have met with a triathlon coach about three times, but that's to get some technique. You know, to, 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 he helped me dramatically change how I swim, and I just take what I gain from that one time and apply it. 
And so there's that option too. And I absolutely agree with Dr. Williams. You know, it's, it's not necessary. It all depends on, on what your goals are and your comfort level or your desire to learn more or to have better technique. So it's a really individual thing, but uh, it, it is absolutely not a requirement for anyone starting triathlons. Okay. Well, we're going to take a short break right now for an important message. First of all, in case you tuned in late, we're talking with Dr. Erica Williams, who is a primary care sports medicine specialist at MedStar Health, and Susan Paisner, an experienced triathlete. And you are listening to WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters is brought to you in part by Kathy Corridan, Senior Real Estate Specialist. Kathy is a realtor with KW Metro Center in Alexandria and works with seniors in Alexandria, Arlington, and D.C. to make selling their home and moving less stressful and more successful. More information is available at 703-971-7237 or C-C-A-T-K-W at gmail.com. Welcome back. We are talking with Dr. Erica Williams, the primary care sports medicine specialist at MedStar Health, and Susan Paisner, an experienced triathlete. We got a lot of initial information about preparing for the race and training. Um, but Dr. Williams, I wanted to ask you about injuries. Uh, as again, as you work with older adults and and see this, or just kind of thinking about sports medicine generally, what could you tell our listeners about how older adults can avoid injury when they're training? So there are um, four components of total fitness in masters, and you want to kind of focus on on all of them. So you want to work on flexibility, balance, aerobic intensity, and strength. So I think, you know, it's important to have a warm up and a cool down routine before all exercise to try to reduce injury and kind of gradually increase heart rate and breathing and prepare your muscles and joints um, for exertion. You want to um, think about cross training and triathlon is is perfect for cross training because you're not spending your time doing all one thing. Um, but by kind of mixing up the, the activities that you're doing, you're going to um, prevent overuse injuries. Um, and that's also a good way to rehab from any injury, because if you have a, a leg injury, you know, you could still focus on arm strength, core strength, cardiovascular strength. Um, you want to focus uh, a little bit on, on balance um, and coordination to prevent falls. You want to focus on strength training, um, and that's going to help you maintain your muscle mass and your bone density, both of which decrease as we age. Um, And then I think for master's athletes, recovery is also very important. So as as you age, your body needs more time to recover. Um, And so you want to allow for this in your training schedule. Um, So, you know, you might need a a day or two a week um, to just kind of take it easy Um, and definitely listen to your body. If you feel like you need more rest, uh, allow that for yourself. Would you also say, Dr. Williams, that that if somebody does incur an injury during the triathlon, 
is that it then in terms of future competition or is there a certain period of time that they would have to wait before their body healed? What would, what would you say? I think it's hard to to make that call without knowing what specific injury we're talking about. You know, there are some people who get injured during a triathlon and can push through and continue. Um, you're kind of the best sense of how much pain your body's in and whether you can continue or not in the moment. And then, you know, I think definitely follow up with a sports medicine provider so that you can be assessed and we can try to figure out what's going on. Don't Don't push through pain. Okay. And you've mentioned strength training. I think that term is used a lot, even if we're not training for a triathlon. Explain exactly what strength training is. I mean, I could even speak for myself. I don't know if I'm supposed to use little weights. And if so, how little, you know, are we talking about two pounds, three pounds, five pounds? Tell us about strength training, what that is and and what people should use and, and, and why it's so important. So I think when people talk about strength training, they're probably, you know, most likely talking about training with weights or some kind of, um, you know, resistance bands, or they might be talking about something like plyometrics, right, where you're using speed and force to build muscle power. So kind of explosive um, movements. Um, Strength training is really great. Um, for building your muscle mass and uh, maintaining your bone density. Again, both of those things kind of decrease as we age. Um, so it's a great way to really, um, in, a, in a time efficient manner, improve your performance. It's going to make you stronger if you're in the water, um, if you're running, if you're on the bike. Um, and it, um, by, by lifting weights, you're increasing something called your running economy. So the amount of energy required to maintain your velocity of movement. Um, so, you know, it, it's something that you want to include in your regimen at least two to three days per week. And you want to focus on your core muscle groups, right? So your, your, your back, your shoulders, your, um, your, your abs, your legs um, to improve performance overall. And so strength strength training really includes all parts of your body. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. Okay. Susan, did you want to add something? I do. Uh, I found when I started doing some strength training, I I, I didn't quite understand how doing that would make me, uh, would improve my times, but it did. So, um, but I will say, for instance, I had uh, a couple of, of pinched nerves a few years ago. And so even though I do different kinds of strength training, I don't do anything that would possibly re-injure myself. So I don't do sit-ups. Um, I don't do crunches, but I will do plank and I will do push-ups and I use weights um, because, you know, Right now, of course, with COVID, there's no triathlons at all, but it doesn't stop me from continuing to work out. Uh, I think after a while, if you've been a triathlete for a while, for an athlete, you just, you want to do this. This is part of, this is an integral part of our lives and you just want to do it anyway because it makes you feel better. And as Dr. Williams pointed out, there's that icing on the cake that it will actually make you physically and and at times mentally better. Okay. Well, and so 
we've kind of got the physical aspects now and uh, explained by both of you. And Susan, uh, help us on this. Is there certain kinds of equipment that uh, an older athlete, I'm kind of getting into not only preparing for yourself, but do you have to go out and buy a lot of stuff? And so talk about that. Okay. Well, well, yes, this can be expensive initially. For instance, you have to have a bike. Um, but once you've made these investments, you don't have to keep repeating them. But in terms of equipment, you're going to need what everybody has. And so that means a swimming cap. Uh, in a lot of races, they will give you one. Goggles. And just as I've learned from experience, bring a spare. Caps can rip. Goggles can break. So always bring a spare. And I, I, every single try I've ever been in, there's always an announcement. Does anybody have any spare goggles? So bring a spare. Um, biking shoes, if you use those versus running shoes, bring a shoehorn if you need it. Socks, a helmet, sunglasses, water bottles, a tire pump. A racing belt. This is the where they give you a bib that has your, your race number on it. You prepare ahead of time, and this way you just put the belt on. Other people don't have a belt. That's fine. And they, they pin the bib to their clothes. Um, bring a towel. So these are all, everybody has the same equipment. And it sounds like they help each other out if necessary. Absolutely. I, I went to one triathlon and, and mind you, you know, to go, and this one was in Hagerstown, I got up at 3.30 in the morning. And so I'm in, trans, in the parking lot taking my bike out and one of my tires blew. And so the man next to me, you'd think I'd know how to do this. I don't know how to change a tire. He changed it, and I had an extra inner tube. I was all prepared. And then shortly thereafter, my other tire blew. And so I'm in a parking lot with a lot of the other athletes, and I just said, does anyone else have an inner tube? And, and a woman said, here you go. And then I realized that for whatever reason, I hadn't packed a, a cap, and they didn't give us one. And I said, does anybody have a cap. And someone said, here you are, use this. So people are very helpful, uh, very friendly. Um, and cause things can happen. And, and my initial thought was, I can't believe I got up at three 30 in the morning and I'm not even going to be able to race. But, but the guy who fixed my first tire fixed the second and I could go forward. Well, Obviously, this is a real community, and we're going to talk a little bit about that a little bit later, but I wanted to still focus on the physical preparation with a couple more questions. Susan, we'll start with you about good nutrition as an important part of, of training. Do you have a, a, a special diet that you um, ha are on all the time? And do you take supplements? What about that part of, of your training? I don't, I don't take any supplements at all, but um, I think I learned the hard way. My very first triathlon uh, or first couple of triathlons, I wouldn't eat or drink anything before the race because I was so concerned about having to go pee. And, and I learned that that's a very bad thing to do. Um, but I eat a just a very, I personally eat a very small amount of food because it's four in the morning or it's three 30 in the morning and my body just isn't 
ready to do that. I drink one sip of coffee to get a little bit of caffeine in me, but not enough coffee so that I'm going to have to pee frequently. But I do drink water and you, you need, you absolutely need to stay hydrated and drink water like before you leave for the race in transition. And you'll find that you'll want to drink water as you're biking and you have the bottles on your, on your bike. And there are, there are water stations for the run. And when you're not training, do you maintain a certain kind of diet? I mean, is it uh, a veggie, vegetarian diet, or do you eat, you know, whatever you want when you're not training? I don't wouldn't say that I, I follow a particular diet. I'm always, you know, trying to lose some weight. <laughs> so, uh, and I, and because I do this year round, from one perspective, you could say I'm always training, you know, but I work out year round, regardless of whether there's a race. And so I eat a relatively healthy diet. Um, and, and, and I think the most important thing is you shouldn't change what you're eating just before a race, because that might be too foreign to your body. You know, that, that however you're going to, uh, whatever kind of nutrition you follow, you should do it consistently. And I would suspect, too, the other aspect you mentioned about getting up at 3.30 in the morning, um, you really overall should get enough rest. You should get enough rest. I don't always get enough rest. But what I have found is, and maybe some of this is psychological, as long as I have a three-hour block of REM sleep, that is sufficient unto the day because one of the things that happens when you start competing is you have an enormous amount of adrenaline running through your body. And so for me it makes up for not getting a lot of sleep. But that's me. My, I have one brother who, if he doesn't get his eight hours of sleep every night, regardless of what he might do, he is cranky. So it, it keeps going back, and this supports what Dr. Williams was saying, keeps going back to you are an individual and you know yourself and you know your body best. Right. And in fact, I was going to ask Dr. Williams about both the nutrition and rest and staying hydrated. Anything you wanted to add to that? I think um, Susan's point about staying hydrated is really important. Um, as we age, the, the amount of water that our kidneys put out is greater and we become less sensitive to thirst. So where an, a younger athlete might be able to say, well, I'll drink during the race when I'm thirsty and that's good enough. Um, an older athlete, uh, m that might not be as reliable. And then they, you know, they're at risk for dehydration and heat injury. So, you know, you, you do want to drink when you're thirsty, but just be very aware that depending on the amount that you're sweating and the length of time that you're, um, you're exercising um, and the environmental factors, you might need more hydration and you really want to stay on top of that. Yes, that's that seems to make a lot of sense again since we're all getting older and and to that point Dr. Williams I also wanted to talk about since we were um discussing mental health earlier 
Would you say that training and, and participating in triathlons also benefit older athletes socially? I mean, do, like, do they, you mentioned about training together. Uh, what would you, expand a little bit on that in terms of the social aspects of the triathlon? I think there can be great social benefits from participating in triathlon. Um, you know, I think, you know, you have a community there to support you. It's great to um, exercise with other people and with a group because you hold each other accountable and you're more likely to stick to your program and accomplish your goals. Um, you know, I think it's also nice to have a, a little healthy competition, right? If you're kind of comparing yourself to your partner or other people on your team, you may push yourself a little bit more. Um, you know, the, there are people there to motivate you and encourage you and just to celebrate with you at the end of the race. Um, and so, you know, and I also think triathlon, um, this can be a very social sport. So it's nice to have that community. Well, and that's a good segue uh, back to Susan about is you mentioned now that nothing is going on in terms of triathlon uh, training or that is is that is everything off right now in terms of, of because of the pandemic, Susan? Well, some of the places, I mean, I've signed up for one in, in 2021, but ev everyone is being highly responsive to the pandemic. And so it says, if it runs, fine. If it doesn't, as we did last year, we will refund your money. Um, I want to take this opportunity to tell listeners, to because I think this is one of your questions coming up, Cheryl, to go to tryfind.com, that is T-R-I-F-I-N-D.com. And that lists all triathlons across the country. So, you know, if, you, if you're looking um, going forward and let's say maybe we will have races this coming summer, that's where you can find them. That's really good. In fact, I wanted to spend the rest of the program really talking about the race itself, you know, so we're all set now, we've done our training, we're, we're physically ready. And so let's talk initially, Susan, about how do older adults identify the races in, in which to compete? Is the cost a factor? Is the distance a factor? Is the location a factor? How, how would you recommend listeners who are ready to, to participate what to think about uh, when it actually comes to race participation? Well, all of those things can factor in. How far do you want to drive? I've, there were some triathlons several years ago where I'd actually go stay in a hotel the night before to be at the venue the next day. That starts to get expensive. Um, but if you have to drive an hour or more, that means you're getting up earlier because you'll arrive at, your, uh, at transition at 5.30 in the morning. Um, so where it is and how far, the costs are relatively the same across all of these. Somewhere between, um, I don't know, $65, $70, up to $90 maybe. And you do get a T-shirt. At the very least, you get a T-shirt. Well, that's so, a good thing. You know, that's an individual choice as to, you know, where you want to go and how many you want to sign up for. Like I do five a season 
mainly because I like the number five and I, and I joke with people that it's good that I don't like the number 32. <laughs> I guess, I guess. <laughs> and will people know in advance as to how many other competitors there will be in a race? And does that make a difference? A lot of these uh, race venues post the participant list and you can uh, look at them and, and you can sort by age and other things, you know, but, um, and you can get a sense, you know, and I, and I, because there are always fewer older participants, I will often go to a race and, and say, you know, to the people around me in transition in a joking manner, I just won my age group because I'm the only one in my age group. And I have to say my perspective on that is I showed up. I'm not stopping anyone else from showing up, you know, so uh, I would rather have competition. I don't like to win by default, but that happens fairly frequently. But you can check and see, you know, and I think for a lot of people, it's more the the totality of the event, of being there. It is a community. And even though we're all competing against one another, uh, I think, you know, like the, just being there, the excitement of it, uh, is really, it's really quite thrilling. And you've been talking now about, uh, competing in this area, Susan, um, because of, again, we've got these three different sports. Are there certain places like in the, say, we're talking here in Northern Virginia, but in the district and, uh, Let's talk about the three states, Virginia, Maryland, and the district, where these triathlons are held. Simply, I'm curious to know, because of the fact of that they have these different sports, I would assume there has to be, uh, you know, specific accommodations. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, currently, there aren't any triathlons scheduled in Washington, D.C., but when there are, they close the streets and it's really quite a delectable thrill to be biking in the heart of Washington, D.C. and, and not, not having to think about a vehicle being in your way. Um, a, lo- a number of these, there's always police guiding, um, watching traffic. In some cases, they can close the streets. In other cases, they close lanes, for instance. Um, I, these, these triathlons are so well run. I never have to spend a moment thinking about my personal safety vis-a-vis being on the road because they are so well thought out and well planned and well marked ahead of time. That's a good example. If you were doing something in the district, where would the swimming part of the triathlon occur? It would be in the Potomac River. And that is sometimes chancy. At least two times that I, that I participated, they had to cancel the swim for different reasons. And, and this, this can happen. Um, when I did USA Triathlon Nationals in 2018 in Cleveland, they had to cancel the swim. Um, so I, I this I want to make one quick point about triathlons because, as we said, they are swim, bike, run. But there may be some older people listening who 
aren't who don't like to swim. And there's another kind of race avail- available to them called a duathlon, which is swimming and, uh, pardon me, run, bike, run. And there's also something called uh, splash and dash, if you don't have a bike, where you swim and then you run. So there are a lot of variations for everybody, uh, depending on what kind of equipment you have or what kind of uh swimming, you know, availability you have. And what has been your average time? And let's broaden it to all older athletes. And again, this is an average. How long does it take to complete a triathlon? Considering that the race distances vary, that I, I, it's hard to answer, but I think you should be prepared to be on the go from the starting gate for at least an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half, could be up to two hours, a little bit more, depending on, on your speed. So that you answered that other part. So it's, it's primi- primarily the speed. Uh, I've always wondered with if there's a lot of participants, can they kind of get in your way? And, you know, you want to say, just get out of my way because I'm faster than you. Does, is that a, a possibility in triathlons? The only time that it can be really uh, disturbing is in an open water swim in the beginning. And, and anybody doing this for the first time, you need to be aware that there will be people close to you and possibly kicking you, but it's in the water. It doesn't hurt. It's just annoying or it's just dis- dis- distracting. But in an open water swim, that does not last long because it opens up and and people swim at their own pace. Uh, Same thing on a bike, same thing on a run. Biking, you pass people, it's very polite, it's, it's, you know, established. And because everybody does this at different times, it's all staggered. And so you may see people who you know are not in your age group, but they started later than you, they're faster than you. Um, So you can't really tell except for one thing. Everyone has his or her age written in magic marker on the left calf. So the only thing I would know for certain in a run is if I see a woman in my age group uh, and I would want to run past her. All right. Well, we're getting close to the end, but Susan, I wanted to ask you two more quick questions. When you race or when older adults in general, older athletes, what is usually the most important factor that stays in your mind? Is it the speed in which you're competing or is it finishing the race? That's going to depend on the individual. If, if uh, speed is your goal, speed ranks you. If finishing, if this is a bucket list thing or if it's just you're, you're comfortable with that, finishing may fulfill you. It's just always keeps coming down to the individual. And the other question I wanted to get your feedback uh, quickly is, is there a limit as to how many triathlons an older athlete can participate in a lifetime? What would you tell us? No, there's no limits at all. I mean, there's, you know, physical, physical limits. But I want to make a point. I did my first triathlon when I was 59 years old, and I have now competed in 50 of them. 
And the message that I want your listeners to take away is it is never too late. Life just continues for me, quite frankly, it keeps getting better. It, it is never too late to start and you can always work on it. And as Dr. Williams pointed out, exercise, I call it the magic pill. It is just the most wonderful thing you can do for yourself. All right. Well, Susan gave uh, one resource. Dr. Williams, did you have any uh, suggestions in terms of best resources that um, people who are thinking about uh, doing these races, uh, what they could look up on the internet, or what would you tell us? Well, you can go to medstarsportsmedicine.org. Um, you can find me there. You can find other sports medicine providers if you want to come in and have a discussion before you start training or if any issues um, arise while you're training. Um, you know, Susan mentioned um, TriFind. Um, there's also MyTimeToTry, T-R-I.com and active.com. And those are great websites with resources on training regimens and different races that you can um, participate in. All right. Well, I want to thank Dr. Erica Williams with MedStar Health and Susan Paisner, the triathlete, uh, experienced triathlete, for joining me today. And if you also want to learn about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is at www.agingmattersonline.com. At that site, you can access all of the Aging Matters radio and TV show content, and as well as the podcasts on Apple and Spotify, which this program will be uh, found on after this program. And by the way, if you want to continue to know about what's happening in uh, Aging Matters radio and TV shows, you can subscribe to the monthly newsletter, and each month you'll get updates on new radio shows and TV episodes. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media, and you can learn more about the company at inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you, as usual, for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Aging Matters is sponsored in part by the Aging Life Care Association, an organization of aging life care professionals. Aging life care professionals offer guidance, advocacy, and support for older adults and their families in order to maximize quality of life. An aging life care professional can be there for your loved one when you can't be. More information about the Aging Life Care Association is available at www.midatlanticalca.org. Thank you.